What a blessing it is to sing about the grace of Jesus Christ together with you to celebrate uh, these four uh, staff members who are celebrating uh, 10-year anniversaries and to continue this One Another series that we kicked off last week where we're talking about the essential role that we play in each other's lives as we follow Jesus together. Last week, I told you that the church is kind of like these aspen trees here. Uh, Above the surface, it looks like uh, individual uh, people following Jesus who just happen to be standing near each other. But below the surface, there's this connection. Uh, There's this connection to these roots. You know, I told you last week that these roots of the aspen trees are so intertwined that scientists actually consider a grove of aspen trees to be one singular organism. And the church is the same way. It's this place that God has created uh, where we are connected not only to him, but also to one another. And so during this series, we're talking about those roots, the horizontal connection that we have with one another. And and if you're already a follower of Jesus, I hope this series encourages you to invest in those connections, to invest in those relationships with one another. And if you're not yet uh, a follower of Jesus, I hope that through this series, you see that following Jesus together is so beautiful and so joy-filled that you make the decision to follow him with your life. Last week, we talked about loving one another, and this week, we're talking about encouraging one another. And I imagine if, if I started the sermon by taking a poll and asked this question, do you think it's a good idea for Christians to encourage each other? I think it would be unanimous, right? I think we would all say, yes, that sounds good. So I'm not going to spend any time trying to convince you that encouraging one another is a good idea. What I am going to do is talk about this passage from Hebrews 10. And I think what we're going to see is that there's a specific way that we can view encouragement that makes all the difference. That if we adopt this mindset of encouragement, it can radically transform the way we uh, encourage each other in our grow groups and in our church and make our connection to each other that much sweeter. So our passage comes from Hebrews chapter 10. I'll begin reading at verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. May God bless the reading of his word. Have you ever seen a picture where when you looked at it, zoomed in, it looks one way, but then when you zoom out, it looks totally different? I want to show you a couple of examples. Let's uh, put this picture up here. What do you see here? Cute little girl all tuckered out, taking a nap. She looks relaxed, right? Seems like a good thing. All right, let's zoom out. She's missing Disney World. She's missing Disney World. What a tragedy. Okay, we got one more. Let's, uh, let's look at this one. Okay, look at this little guy. Man, what a servant. He's just, uh, you know, serving his family, mowing the yard. This is about the age that we had our kids start mowing the yard <laughs> before child labor laws. Uh, let's zoom out. You know what's coming here, right? The picture is different, isn't it? All right, the point of showing you these pictures is to remind you what you already know, and that is context matters. 
Context matters. If all you look at is the zoomed in uh, photo, zoomed in part of the picture, you may see part of it, but you may misunderstand what it means, right? So you might look at that first picture and say, this is a good thing. This little girl's taking a, a nap. But then when you zoom out, you realize it's a tragedy. She's missing out on what should be one of the greatest days of her short life. In the second picture, it might look like child abuse, but then when you zoom out, you see it's actually good parenting, a father letting the the child participate. And I think the same is true of this morning's passage. So I want to start out with a zoomed in version of part of the passage, specifically the part of the end that's about encouragement. Because I I think, I have have this hunch that when we hear uh, this passage, the zoomed in version of encouragement is what usually comes to mind. But then I want want to zoom out and see if we can look at the whole picture and see how that may change our perspective on encouragement. Make sense? All right, so here we go. We're going to zoom in first on the end of the passage, the part about encouragement, uh, verses 24 and 25. I'll read them one more time. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I love these two verses. If you're a grow group leader, I hope you recognize these verses because I put them at the bottom of every single page of every single grow group leader's guide. I love these because I think they can paint such a beautiful picture of what what community can be, how we can encourage one another in the body of Christ. But as much as I love these verses, I think there's also a, a danger here because if all you look at is just these two verses, Just like with those pictures we looked at before, you can get a faulty view of what the author of Hebrews had in mind. So here's what I'm calling the zoomed in view of encouragement, what it it might look like if you ignore the context. The zoomed in view of encouragement is, you can do it, so try harder. You can do it, so try harder. In this view of encouragement, we're we're trying to motivate people to live up to their full potential. And And I think this is what most of us think of when we think about encouragement. It's like, uh, the locker room at the Cowboy game last Sunday before the game. They're, they're slapping their uh, shoulder pads. They're banging their helmets together. They're saying, let's go, let's go. You can do this. And what they're really saying is, you're, you're strong enough. You're good enough. You've trained hard enough. Let's give it all we got. And let's go beat the 49ers. Is it too soon? I don't know if it's too soon. It's a little <laughs> painful, isn't it? Well, that's the kind of encouragement that, that we typically Think of, but, but there's a problem. When we take this view of encouragement in the church, we see our role as psyching each other up to be spiritual champions. Psyching each other up to be spiritual champions. Come on, you can do this. You got this. Stop being materialistic. Stop being anxious. Stop lusting. Start reading your Bible more. Start sharing your faith more. Start praying more. Be better. Try harder. Be a spiritual champion. Anybody see a problem with this? I do, I do, because if you tell me that, I'm going to try my best. I really am going to try to stop being materialistic and stop being anxious. I'm going to try to share my faith more, but deep down, I, I, I know I'm not a spiritual champion. I can't do all those things all the time on my own. Can you? No. And when we take this view of encouragement in the church, boy, it can lead to all sorts of messed up stuff all sorts of messed up stuff. When all you hear is try harder, be better, one thing is it does, it it sets this expectation that everybody around you has it all together, right? Now, we know that we don't have it all together all the time, but but we're not going to tell anybody that, right? 
So in a group, when someone asks us how we're doing, we say, fine, fine, everything's fine. When we know everything is not fine, and it starts this terrible downward spiral. We, we end up doing what Adam and Eve did in the garden. You know, when they were confronted with their sin, first they, they hid and then they blamed. And we do the same thing. We hide our true selves from God. We hide our true selves from one another. And then we secretly blame others. We secretly judge others because it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. But then what happens? Isolation, right? Isolation. We know that no one knows the real us and we don't know the real them. And so we withdraw. And ironically, this you can do it kind of encouragement does the exact opposite of what it was intended to do. It's meant to encourage us, but what does it do? It discourages us. Are you depressed yet? I am. I promise though, the news gets better. The news gets better because we're going to zoom out. The zoomed in view of encouragement leads to discouragement, but I want to take a look now at the full picture. And as we look at the full picture, uh, I think we're going to start to see encouragement in a different light. The first thing I want us to do is to look at the whole passage at one time, uh, and, and I want us to notice something. So I want to invite you to, to do something with me. Imagine you're in an art gallery. I don't know if you like art galleries or not, but just imagine you're in an art gallery, and you've been looking uh, really closely at, at a painting. And then I want to invite you to take like three big steps back and see if you can look at the whole painting at once. And then when you look at the whole painting at once, all of a sudden you notice that the artist has used a certain color all throughout uh, the painting. And you didn't notice when you were zoomed in, but you notice that there's this theme of this color all throughout. Well, that's what I want to do with this passage. And as we look at the, the canvas of these verses, the, the color, so to speak, that I want us to notice is together. I know together is not a color. It's not even in the 64, uh, bo- 64 Crayola box, but I want us to notice this, this color of together, this this plural nature of our relationship with Christ. If, if you're not careful, when you read the passage, it's so prevalent, you can actually forget it. So I'm going to take just a minute. I'm going to read really quickly through the passage again, but I'm going to highlight and count all of the together words, okay? So follow along with me here. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you, and you would think that one's singular, but in the Greek, it's actually y'all see the day approaching. 16, isn't that amazing? Every single part of this passage is we, not me. Every single part of the passage is plural. There's not a single command in this passage that's addressed to one person. The writer's reminding us that we're like those aspen trees, right? We're, we're connected, not just to God vertically, but to each other horizontally by our roots. Okay, so now that we've stepped back and we've seen this together uh, all, all throughout the passage, I wanna take a couple of steps forward and look uh, a little bit closer at, at the context. And I'm gonna have to resist the urge to, to dive deep into some of these verses. It's an amazing, amazing passage. Maybe another day we can uh, go deep. But for today, I wanna give just enough context, just enough uh, description of the first part of the passage that it gives us the appropriate perspective 
against which we see uh, the part about encouragement, okay? So let's start at, at the beginning. The writer starts out by saying, therefore, brothers and sisters, since, and this word since is a signal, okay? It's a signal that what he's about to say is the foundation for what comes next. So if we're paying attention, remember, we, we know at the end he's going to talk about encouragement. So what comes after the sense is the context for that encouragement. He says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Okay, what's the most, most holy place? That's a reference to the Old Testament tabernacle and later uh, the temple. This was a special room inside the temple, sometimes called the Holy of Holies. You may have heard it that way. Uh, this is where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. And this room and the ark inside it was a physical representation of God's presence with the Israelites. And here's the thing. Not just anybody could go inside the most holy place. This was a tough ticket to get. I mean, tougher than Taylor Swift on Ticketmaster tough, guys. I mean, it was a tough ticket. Not just anyone could go in. In fact, there was only one person that was allowed to go in, and that was the high priest. And even he couldn't go in anytime he wanted to. Uh, listen to what God tells Moses in Leviticus 16. He's talking about Aaron, his brother, who's the first high priest. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place or else he will die. It's pretty direct, right? <laughs> pretty clear. The presence of God is dangerous. You can't just barge in whenever you want to. Anybody remember what happened to that guy in Raiders of the Lost Ark when they opened the, the, the lid? <laughs> his face melted, Right? That's not in scripture, by the way. I do know that. <laughs> but there is actually a scene uh, in the Old Testament about a guy named Uzzah. I don't know if it's Uzzah or Yuzzah. I don't know any Uzzahs. But there's this guy named Uzzah who, who touches the Ark of the Covenant when he's not supposed to, and he actually dies immediately. Uh, the presence of God is a big deal. The high priest couldn't go in to the most holy place whenever he wanted. Even he could go, only go in one day a year on this special day called the Day of Atonement. And before he went in, he had to make this special sacrifice, he had to take a special bath, and he had to put on a special uh, outfit. Going into the presence of God is a big, big deal. So here's the question. Does this word surprise you? Confidence? Man, that surprises me. I, I would expect uh, terror <laughs> or fear going into the most holy place. People die in there, right? How in the world can we have confidence to enter the very presence of God? Well, he tells us right after, by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. This is what Christ's death on the cross has accomplished for us. It has opened the way for you and for me to walk directly into the presence of the God of the universe. Not just the high priest, but anybody. Not just one day a year, but any time and all the time. The high priest had to uh, sacrifice a bull and sprinkle the blood on the altar, but we don't have to do that because Jesus has been sacrificed once and for all and his blood has been sprinkled on our hearts, the text says. And now you and I can live all of our lives in the glorious presence of our most holy God. The high priest went into the holy place through a thick curtain but now the writer says there's a new way in. It's not through a physical curtain, but instead it's through the curtain that is the body of Jesus Christ. 
The way to God now lies through Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus himself said in John 14? This is a really famous verse. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except how? Through me. Through me. Through Jesus' death, he has opened up a new way into God's presence. And so now we can with confidence enter into the most holy place, as the writer says earlier in the, the book, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, this is such good news. This is such good news. If, if you've grown up in church, you may be a little desensitized to this, but don't miss it. This is such good news because whether we know it or not, God's presence is exactly where we need to be. In fact, it's what our hearts most long for, whether we recognize it or not. You know, I remember uh, as a kid hearing stuff like that in church, and I'm gonna be uh, really honest with you. Uh, I didn't really buy it. I didn't really buy it at the time because uh, living my life in God's presence sounded like uh, being in a church service that never ended. And uh, that was not terribly appealing to me at the time because the sermons were long and boring, the pews uh, were hard, uh, and there was no baseball. None, no baseball at all in church services. And so I thought, yeah, why would anybody want that? But you know, the older I've gotten, the more I've realized God's presence is the only place I want to be. It's the only place I want to be because in God's presence, I am fully known. Sins, brokenness, failures, and all. I'm fully known, but I am fully accepted, fully loved. In God's presence, I find comfort. When the circumstances in my life don't go the way I wish they would, when I'm frustrated, when I'm weary, God comforts me and he reminds me that he's still working. In God's presence, I find purpose. My life is not meaningless. I, I see the big picture of what God is doing and that by his grace, he's, he's chosen to weave my little story into his big story and to be part of what he's doing in the world. In God's presence, I find a new family. I don't have to walk alone. I find people to encourage me and support me. Other broken but beautiful people just like me who have been saved by grace and we can share our lives together. In God's presence, I find hope. Even when things don't go the way I want them to, I, I remember, I remind myself that Jesus is working and that one day he's going to return and he's going to set everything right again. And don't you want to live in God's presence? Don't you want to be there? Well, this passage tells us that we can. We can enter the most holy place with confidence. Confidence not in our own goodness, but in the goodness of God, as we just sang a moment ago. And confidence in the sufficiency of Jesus and his blood. What's the full picture? The full picture is God has invited us in. He's opened the door to his presence, to the most holy place, and he has invited us in. And then in verse 22, uh, the writer encourages us to respond by, by coming inside. He says, draw near to God. And by the way, he says, draw near to God together. He goes on then to remind us that, that we can have assurance that we're forgiven because Jesus' blood has made us clean. And then he encourages us together to, to hold on tight, to hold unswervingly, the text says, not because we're strong, but because he who promised is faithful. Not because we can hold on so tight, but because God is holding so tight to us. And then in verse 24, we get right back to where we started, the part about encouragement. But 
Just like the picture of the toddler looks radically different when you zoom out and you see that the toddler's actually not pushing, the father is pushing and the toddler is just hanging on, our picture of encouragement looks different too. The zoomed in view of encouragement is you can do it, so try harder. But the zoomed out view of encouragement is God has done it, so join the party. God has done it, so join the party. Do you see the difference? The zoomed in picture depends on our strength, our effort. But the zoomed out picture depends on Jesus' sacrifice, his sufficiency. And here's the thing, that radically changes how we view the encouragement that we give to and receive from each other. Instead of psyching each other up to be spiritual champions, as we talked about before, instead we're reminding each other that we're spiritual beggars, but that God has invited us to an amazing feast. God has invited us into this new way of life that's filled with joy and peace and love and hope. And so our encouragement to each other is not a command to try harder, to give more effort. Instead, it's an invitation to join the party and to receive all of the goodness that God has to give. We don't have to try harder because Jesus has done everything that's required for us to experience a full and abundant life now and throughout eternity. And our role is to come inside. Our role is to not stay outside and and to, to decline the invitation. Our role is to draw near to God together, to join the party together. I want to spend the last few minutes uh, talking about what this kind of encouragement looks like. What does it actually look like when we, uh, when we view encouragement through this lens that God has already invited us in? And specifically, I really want to encourage all of us to think about what would this look like in our church in general and in our grow groups specifically, and how could this make our life together even sweeter? I want to look again at those last two verses now with this new perspective. The writer starts this section, verse 25, by saying, let us consider, let us consider. That, that word consider is a signal to us. He's saying that what he's about to talk about requires thoughtfulness. It requires intentionality. It's not gonna happen by accident. It's not gonna happen on its own. You know, when we're facing uh, some kind of decision that's important to us, uh, we, we think about it a bunch, right? Let's say you're trying to decide whether uh, or not to accept a new job and it's not immediately apparent whether uh, it's the right decision for you. So what do you do? You consider it. You, you think about it. You, you weigh pros and cons. You make lists. You talk to friends about it. You play out all the different possibilities and then you make a decision. I think the writer is saying that we, we should give that level of intentionality, that level of thoughtfulness to the way we encourage each other. And I just think, well, what would that look like? Wouldn't that be amazing if in our grow groups we gave that level of intentional thought and prayer and effort to how can I most, uh, most effectively encourage my brother, my sister to follow Jesus? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, let's keep going. What, what does he tell us to consider? He says, consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. All right, now hang on a second because that sounds a little bit like the zoomed in version again, doesn't it? It sounds a little bit like try harder to do good things, but, but don't forget the context. Don't forget the context. Jesus has already done what is required for us to enter God's presence. So, so the writer can't be turning right around now and saying, hey, you have to do all these good things so that God will accept you. No, God has already accepted you 
based on the blood of Jesus. So what is he saying? Don't miss this. What he's saying is that love and good deeds are part of the party. They're actually part of the party. They're part of the feast. Love and good deeds aren't the ticket to get inside. Love and good deeds are what we get to do once we are inside. Love and good deeds are are actually a a necessary and natural part of our insideness, if I can make up that word. They are truly a blessing. When my daughter Grace was a student at a Christian high school uh, in the area, she went to a program one day where she heard a story about uh, a man who became a Christian in his 80s. Wonderful, uh, wonderful, amazing story. And uh, after the assembly, she overheard a couple of her classmates uh, talking and one girl said to the other, could you believe that story? And the other one said, I know, so unfair, so unfair. That guy got to live his whole life doing whatever he wanted to and right at the end, he became a Christian and he got to go to heaven. So unfair. Friends, those girls had it backwards, didn't they? Didn't they have it backwards? I bet if you talked to that man, I bet the first thing he would say is, oh, I'm so thankful to God that Jesus saved me. But I bet the second thing he would say is, man, I wish I hadn't waited so long. Oh, I missed so much. I missed out on so many years of love and joy and peace. I missed out on so much sweetness of life with Jesus. Friends, love and good deeds are not a burden. When they flow out of our relationship with Jesus, when we recognize that we're just like toddlers hanging on while our good and gracious Father is providing the force. They're a blessing. They're a blessing. And so, in our grow groups, when we spur one another on toward love and good deeds, we're not cracking a whip. We're extending a hand. We're not laying guilt trips on each other. We're inviting each other to join in on the feast. When someone misses grow group and, and, you, and you call them, you're not saying you're a terrible person for missing grow group. You're saying, oh, we miss you. We need you and you need us. We're saying Jesus is so good. Jesus is so good. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. Keep hanging on. Keep drawing near. So where do we go to give and receive this kind of encouragement? Is there a place uh, that we're supposed to go to be reminded of this glorious invitation? that God has given us? Well, look at verse 25. He says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And this is really interesting. This, the, the Greek word that is translated meeting together here is the same Greek word that gives us our English word synagogue. Synagogue. And what's, what's a synagogue? It's a church. It's a church. Where, where do we go to, to be encouraged? Where do we go to give encouragement? Here. Here, the church. This is the place that God has created for us to follow Jesus together. This is the place where our roots intertwine. This is the place where we encourage one another. We need each other. We belong to each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul compares the church to a body. He says all the different people in the church are like different body parts. And he, say, he actually says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Well, of course they need each other, right? And we're the same way, friends. We need each other. We can't go to church once and pick up the gospel and then leave and say, I'll take it from here. No, we depend on each other. 
In one of our readings uh, from the growth guide this past week, we were reading from Romans 12, and it says that we actually belong to each other. We have an obligation to one another. Now, friends, I I know it it can be so easy to get out of the habit uh, of participating in worship. It can go so easy to get uh, out of the habit of being a part uh, of a grow group. And not only is it easy just to get out of the habit, sometimes, frankly, it seems like there are good reasons to stay away. Did you know that there are annoying, messed up people at church? (laughs) Sorry about that, by the way. I'm not leaving. You have to put up with me. There are messed up people here. There are broken people here. Sometimes the preacher is boring. Sometimes the singers are out of tune. Sometimes there's somebody in our grow group that frustrates us. Sometimes the staff makes a a boneheaded decision that takes us in the wrong direction. Sometimes it, it feels like it might just be better to stay away. But friends, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Don't let yourself miss out on all the goodness that God has for you in community. When we, as as broken and imperfect as we are, encourage each other to draw close to Jesus. I love, love, love the way pastor and theologian Thomas Long puts this. I'm going to quote him here. He says, When we think about church, we can slip into a jaded sense that nothing of real significance happens here. The movies have better drama, television has more interesting stories, the country club has friendlier people, the park has a nicer view, the Sunday paper has more intrigue, and sleeping in provides a more profound Sabbath rest. What's more, nobody at the beach or the backyard barbecue is going to hand us a pledge card, call us to pray for people in a far-off country, or ask us to teach the junior high youth. He goes on and he says, the only thing about that is that while we are in the beach chair filling out the crossword puzzle, the faithful in the sanctuary doing the best they can with their off-key voices to belt out holy, holy, holy have been gathered by a mystery beyond their own seeing and knowing into the great choir of angels and the saints singing ceaseless praises to God. Things are not what they seem. Church, zoom out, zoom out. Don't miss the bigger picture. God has invited you, he has invited me, he has invited us together to go into the most holy place. And may we as a church, may we in our grow groups spend our days joyfully inviting one another to join the party. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this uh, beautiful word of encouragement from, uh, from Hebrews. Yeah, we thank you so much that Jesus has opened up a new way, a new and living way through the curtain. That is his body. He has opened up a new way for us uh, to be in your presence. Not just one day a year, but all the time. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that gives us the, the full assurance that faith brings. And now, God, I pray for myself. I pray for our church. Would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform us? Would you transform this place into an encouragement factory where we are constantly inviting one another into the party to experience the goodness of Jesus, in whose name we pray together. Amen.